Amen. Praise God. We'd like to welcome everyone today. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad you're here. We welcome you this morning. Amen. That's better. Praise God. And uh, we're so glad you're here. Don't forget today, very, today is one of our uh, unique Sunday mornings. And after we're done today, we have to break all this down. Usually Sunday mornings we're able to keep it up. But because we won't be here tonight, we have to break this down. So I'm asking if you would help us out. If you can't do anything other than just pick up a few chairs, put them on the racks. But we've got to take the chairs out. We've got to bring tables in. We've got to roll up the carpets. And we've got to take care of the platform. If we all work together, it will go um, very smoothly. And we usually get it done fairly quickly. I said this Thursday night. I'll say it again, though, because some of you weren't there. I want to give a... Big, huge shout out to all the ladies who are helping with the setup and the breakdown. Awesome, awesome that the ladies are participating. And I said it Thursday night, and I'll say it again, that uh, it was awesome. Last Sunday night, man, it was like a beehive of activity, and everybody knew where they were going. And uh, it was amazing and awesome to see that most of the people bringing in the tables were the ladies, setting them up. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, don't read into that, that I, ladies are not capable. But it's awesome that, all, that everybody is taking a, an active role in participating because if you are willing to uh, serve and work, that means you believe in it. You will not work for something you don't believe in. And so the fact that you're working and you're, you're willing to help, shows that you're believing in what God's doing, and that's awesome to see. Amen. This is um, week two. We, we're doing a series for September, and last week, uh, it's our lessons learned from the ark, from Noah's ark series. We started last Sunday morning. We talked about church stinks, and this week, Uh, is part two, and then next week we're going to finish up with that. And then for the month of October, for the four services we're having on Sunday morning in October, we're going to be doing a series about heaven and hell separating truth from fiction. But today is part two of our uh, lessons learned from Noah's Ark, and today we're going to be talking about the days of Noah as our subtitle. So if you have a Bible... If you go with me to Genesis chapter 6, Genesis 6, verse number 22. We're just going to read one verse to start because I'm going to read quite a few uh, in a bit. And I, I don't want you to get distracted. So one verse, Genesis 6, verse 22, simply says, Thus did Noah, according to all, everybody say all, all that God commanded him, so did he. God bless you. You can be seated. This is a little teaser for next week. But it's amazing to me, and this is not where we're going today, but it's amazing to me that Noah worked over a hundred years off one word from God. Never repeated. Never told, you're doing a good job, buddy. Keep it up. Never told, hey, you know what? I haven't changed my mind. I'm still serious about this. He got one word, and he worked on that one word without repeat. But I want to today, if you would, just start off. And again, why are we doing this? What is the purpose of looking back at the ark? What is Noah's ark and a seemingly child story, a Sunday school story, have relevance to us adults living in the modern 21st century. How does that fit with us? Well, there's several things. One we're going to talk about in a minute, but the one, but there's several points, and I'll go over them in a minute. There's several things that were found in the ark that point not only to Jesus, but point to salvation in general. Why is that important? Because truth never contradicts itself. <coughs> Truth never contradicts. And we are a church that believes in preaching the truth. Amen. Amen. Amen? But that can come across as a very egotistical statement. Well, how do you think you have the truth and other churches didn't have the truth? I didn't say they didn't have the truth. I said we believe we preach the truth. I didn't say they don't preach the truth. 
They believe what they believe we believe. But how do how can you, and I'm saying that rhetorically as speaking to me, how can I make a statement that we're preaching the truth? How can anyone make that statement? Well, here's one of the reasons you can make that statement, is the fact that the Bible does not contradict itself. And one of the reasons we can preach the truth and know it's the truth is because we can see the consistency of truth throughout the entirety of Scripture. There's a lot of people that speak on things and talk about things and say things are in the Bible, but there are inconsistencies of those things in other parts of Scripture. Truth does not contradict truth. So there are some people that look at New Testament things and they make assumptions off New Testament scriptures and they come up with doctrines based off New Testament scriptures, but the problem is they don't fit with the Old Testament. Never one time does your Bible say we're to do away with the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus said, I haven't come to do away with the law. I've come to do what? Fulfill the law. What does it mean to come to fulfill the law? It means he's come to take the types and shadows of the old and bring them into the reality of the new. So you and I are living under the New Testament dispensation, a New Testament understanding. But to understand the New Testament things, we have to understand some of the things of the old. Case in point, I said this last week, but I'll say it again because it's important, especially when we're talking about this subject, is... Paul told Timothy all Scripture. Several times Paul wrote about Scripture, wrote about the Word of God in his letters to the churches and to the people he was writing to. What Scriptures was he referring to? He wasn't referring to your King James Bible. He was referring to the Old Testament. How do we know that? Because he was writing the New Testament. And he wasn't claiming his word, what his letters were a part of the scripture. He was saying, if you've got questions, go back and look. And then Jesus, because if we don't believe Paul, we don't believe Peter, we don't believe Moses, let's Jesus, because in your Bible, he's treated special. It's red letters, which means those words are more important than the other words in the Bible. That was supposed to be a joke. So let's take the words of Jesus that he said in Luke. Jesus said, you have learned of me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. What was he referring to? Jesus was saying, you saw me, you understood who I am by looking in the Old Testament. It wasn't the Old Testament at the time, it was the Scriptures. So why is it for us today to sit and talk about a silly Bible story that is Basically, we tell the kids, you know, Noah's Ark, and the preschools are named Noah's Ark, and you got this. Why is it important for us sophisticated, professional adults that have jobs and have problems and difficulties, and we're coming here today, why, preacher, are, are you spending time talking about a silly story? Well, first of all, it's not silly. Second of all, there are some things within the framework of this story that point to us today that are confirmation to where we are but are foretelling of where we're going for instance let's just look at a couple things and they kind of jump out at you as obvious stuff but let's just show you some comparisons and then we'll go into the meat of today let's look at some comparisons first and foremost obvious stuff that jump out at you how many doors did the ark have one if you're building a boat that's 450 feet long, 70, what is it, 75 feet wide? If you're building a boat that big, don't you think it's smart to put multiple doors on the boat? You know how long 450 feet is? 450 feet is a long way. In fact, if you go online, it's actually kind of cool. If you go on your Google machine at home and you Google Noah's Ark size comparison, they have some pictures on there showing you what a 400-foot 
450-foot vessel looks like compared to other vessels out there. It's amazing comparison of that vessel and like the Mayflower. It looks like a, I mean, looks like a dinghy tied up to the ark. That's how big 450 feet is. Huge boat. And to think that 450 foot, you only put one door? That's silly to think about that from a design standpoint. You want multiple exits, right? In case there's an emergency, we all don't want to be trying to pile through one door. Multiple exits. I mean, come on, that's what they tell you in the airplane. You got them here, you got them here, you got them here. Noah's like, okay, everybody pay attention. If there's an emergency, that's the door. Line up and don't kill yourselves. Think about that. That's silly. Why, why, why one door? Why? Well, we know the ark became the place of salvation. And there's one door. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus says, I am the door. Nobody comes except they come through me. So what do we understand about God? What is the one thing he never changes? He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how do we know about God and the way God is? Because we look at the pattern and principles of the word of God, and if we understand his pattern and his principles, we know God does not change. So if God is going to be the one and only way, when he puts the principle of salvation in the ark, he can't put multiple ways. I don't care what someone's sincerity is. And there are sincere, there are sincere Muslims. I've been to Muslim countries and I've looked at some of them and they're not all crazed fanatics. There are some sincere. I have gone in Dubai, which is the nicest place I have ever been. I mean, we, we, had, we, we rented a Honda Accord, which is a good car. We rented a Honda Accord, and we, it was brand new. I mean, it probably had less than 1,000 miles on it. It was new. It smelled new. It was nice. And we rented this car when we were there. And we rolled up in the parking lot of the mall, and I literally felt like I was driving a 1970 Pinto. <laughs> this Honda Accord, I mean, I didn't even want people to know I was in a, it was the cheapest car by $100,000. And I'm not talking about in a little I'm talking about a parking lot of 150 cars. If you didn't have a Porsche, you didn't have a, you didn't have a Mercedes, you didn't have some um, uh, 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 a Maybach, you didn't have one of these high-end cars, pfft, Honda. I mean, like, it was crazy. And I've watched these people that are crazy re- wealthy, and they're on these, I mean, uh, um, the most modern city in the world. Dubai is just crazy how modern it is. And I've watched them on the side of the road pull out their rug, get out of their Porsche, their Ferrari. I'm not talking about, you know, poor people. I'm talking about the Lamborghini, Ferrari, stuff lined up on the road. Get out on their other car, pull out their rug, and get on there and start praying right there in the middle of traffic next to their Ferrari. Crazy sincere. Just dedicated. They, they put, I'm sorry, they put me to shame. Their dedication, it's, it's crazy when you go to a mall, a mall, a mall. I mean, like, I mean, the mall we went to had a ski slope in it. That's not a joke. Go look it up online. It's crazy. I mean, this mall, I mean, we're not, we're not talking about some strip mall. We're talking about a high-end mall. And you see signs, you know, like, you know, Bloomingdale's or whatever. I forgot the names of the stores that were there. But all these stores and these high-end stores uh, and, and all this stuff. And then they have signs, prayer room, prayer room, prayer room, prayer room. And you go by and you see these people and they got their shopping bags stacked up outside and they're in the prayer room praying. My, my God, they put me in shame. We have a prayer room at church and no one shows up. They got a prayer room in the mall and it's packed. True. You go to an airport, prayer room in the airport. People in there praying. Now we pray on the airport not because we're sincere. We're just praying God don't let it crash. But they're in there praying, airports. They've got prayer. I mean, I'm not joking. Their rest stops have prayer rooms. Their gas stations have prayer rooms. Their sincerity is off the charts. But there's one door. One door. There are a lot of sincere Americans, moral people. 
You have relatives that are very sincere. You have relatives that are very good people. You might have family members, close family members that are sincere, great people, people that you want to have as your friend, people that you want to be a neighbor to. But sincerity does not alone save you because there's one door. And the ark had one door. Let's go a little farther. The ark was built with God's specific instructions. You could not deviate from these instructions. Salvation comes by following the specific instructions laid out. There's no deviation. He didn't ask Noah what his opinion was. He didn't say, look, I want a boat 450 feet long, but if that's a little too far for you, what do you think? Well, you know, Lord, I, you know, I never built the boat, but about 100 foot sounds good to me. I don't know why it has to be so big. Why are you requiring me to do so much? Why won't you just make it this big? Why has it got to be this big? But it worked because he followed instructions. Redemption is not a magic trick. It works when we follow the specific instructions. Let's go a little farther. How about this? The Bible says that he sealed it inside and outside with pitch. We read that story a thousand times. Oh, pitch. It was just probably some tar, sticky stuff. Do you know what the Hebrew word for pitch is translated? Atonement. The ark was sealed with atonement. What is atonement in the New Testament? The blood of Jesus Christ has atoned us. So you cannot be sealed without the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus does not come in confession. The Bible says the blood of Jesus comes where? In baptism. So your ark won't float unless it's sealed. And you can't have a sealed ark unless you're baptized and have atonement. The ark sealed. They have done scientific study and proof that the reason one of the ark, that the pitch, the, 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 the pitch was a perfect sealant and provided the correct buoyancy for the ark to have floated with all the weight that's there. If you would have removed the pitch, the ark, even though it was made of wood, would have, would have sprung leaks and eventually would have, would have uh, um, um, sunk. So the pitch seemed like it was a, a, a useless thing, but it has sealed the ark. The blood of Jesus Christ seals our hearts. It atones our lives. And the blood is applied in baptism. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness of sins. And the only place we find, now unless you want to go old school and you want to start bringing your livestock in here and cutting its neck and start asking God to go back to the old ways and take your sacrifice, the New Testament gives us one way for blood to be applied in our life. One play and one way only. And that's the blood of Jesus in baptism. Let's go a little farther. This is one that's kind of in, think about it. How many floors did the ark have? Wow. Thank you, Sharon. Three. Why three? Is that by accident? I don't know. The ark had three levels. The tabernacle had three courts. Redemption has three parts. See the pattern? But here's the where I want to go today, and that, that's just, we could go through all that, but here's what I want to go, and I'm going to read for a few minutes, and I don't like reading a lot, because I feel like we check out, but I know a lot of you don't get to read your Bible during the week, so I'm going to catch you up this morning on your Bible reading. Because I want you to read how Jesus pointed back to the ark. You say, well, why are we doing this? This is silly. Why, why are we doing it? Well, Jesus didn't think it was silly because silly Jesus pointed back to the ark. And this is it. And I want you to see something here. And we're going to read it in its, in its totality. Then I'll go back and I want to point out two things that are very interesting. And one that you kind of, it's very obvious. Verse 24, and I'm reading out of the New King James because it's a little cleaner. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you not see 
all these things. Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, most scholars believe this was prophetic of the destruction of the temple that happened years later. So that's the first prophecy. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and saying, this is our normal understanding. Ready? Jesus answered and saying, here, here we go. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come. But the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation, the kingdom against the kingdom. And there shall be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver up to you, you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will be betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But, who, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as witnesses to all nations. And then the end will come. Very prophetic. But let's drop down to verse 32. Chapter 24, verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. You, you, so you also, when, all, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Most people believe that prophetic was talking about Israel, Israel being the fig tree, and the things that start to happen in the prophetic um, uh, fulfillment of Israel. We talked about this several weeks ago. Things that happen, the Bible talks about in Israel, the generation who sees that begin to take place will be the generation that sees the end. And we know that those things started happening in, 19, uh, in the late 1940s, and the generation, according to the Word of God, that sees those things come to pass um, will be the generation from which the end comes. And Bishop Wright, who's the founder of this church, was born in 1946. Right about that time, he's 70 years old. So if the Bible is referring specifically to that, that generation is getting older. I didn't say old. He, can, he can't say I told him I was old. I said he's getting older. But here's where Jesus says. Now watch this. Verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the, but as the days of Noah. Here we go. Jesus is using the ark. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as many in the days before the flood, there were eating, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Everybody say, until the day. Until the day that Noah entered the ark. What was going on? They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were giving in marriage. Then it goes on to say in verse 40, that two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now what's interesting here, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but what's interesting in this passage of scripture, there's two parallel tracks that go side by side and they meet at X. Because the first part, of what Jesus says is our normal understanding of the end of the world. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, craziness, worlds falling apart. Uh, just, I mean, every time an event happens, what do we start saying? Well, the Lord's coming. The, end, I mean, the Lord's got to be coming soon. I'm not saying those aren't the sign. Jesus said those are the sign. Floods are taking place. The, the, I, I read this the other day that the United Nations is convening a special council. This has only happened three times. They're convening a special council to, to, to talk about how to deal with an eventual superbug. They've only done this three times. One was with AIDS, the other one's with Ebola, and now they're convening to determine they know it's coming and they want to have a plan in action how to deal with it when a super virus is unleashed on this earth. 
And so they're convening. This is the third, only the third time in the United Nations history they've ever done this. But think about this. That's what we normally think of. We're thinking of like crazy, and, you know, everyone's like, you know, we hear about, you hear the word one world government. We all just like start to get our jumping shoes ready because I know Jesus is about to come back. I just heard one world government. And we hear about a computer chip. Oh, my God, there it is. I know it. He's coming. Computer chip's in the hand. Jesus is coming. And we normally think of the coming of the Lord in this negative, crazy, the world's just coming to an end, apocalyptic ideology that is just simply, I mean, the world is just in chaos and we're hunkered down in some bunker with three cans of food left and half bottle of water and we're like, what do we do? Do we go out and get more food or we just pray, God, hurry up because I'm almost out of food? And that's kind of our idea. The idea. I mean, North Korea shooting stuff at us and we shooting stuff at the Russians and the Russians running around like crazy and it was just like, oh! That's kind of what we think about. And at that time, you know, Jesus steps out. And we're like, woo, we escaped. And that's sort of like our mentality and our ideology of that's how it's going to end. And so we're like, we're always searching for stuff, trying to figure out, okay, oh, there's three earthquakes over there. Oh, there's a flood there. Oh, there was that. Oh, there's famine there. There's a bug there. Are those things? Yeah, Jesus said when these things start happening more and more, yeah, you pay attention. But then he says something that's so contrary to that. So we got track one over here. That's the end of the world. Apocalyptic, crazy, just hang on to your hats where it's just going to get bad. But then Jesus goes over here and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. But there's a whole other track. Pay attention to. Because he says, as it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying up until the time that they got on the ark. That was a very simple society. Do you know what eating and drinking and marrying represents? Prosperity. In fact, if you see what Luke's account was, Luke referenced the same thing, but Luke said, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. Luke said, here's what it was like in Noah's day, but let me also say, it was in Lot's day, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So we have two accounts in Scripture of, of God's wrath and the end of either the world in Noah's day or a city in Lot's day. And both of them are types and shadows of what God is going to do when, he comes, when, when, when this world, as we know it, comes to an end. And both times God is trying to give us principles to what to look for. And we think of the end and the craziness and the, the absolute just madness. But Jesus says, and I want you to get this because I want you to listen to the soberness of this. And I'm not going to be much longer. But because most of us have this idea that we're just going to sit around and we're just going to have our good time. And then when the world goes crazy, we'll rush back into church. We'll lift our hands. We'll ask God to forgive this. And boy, that will be our sign. But according to the word of God, according to what Jesus said in Noah's day, they were having a prosperous time. It was a time where things were going well. Because you tell me why a man sitting on a boat every day saying, listen, there's a flood coming. you got to get on this boat. Get on the boat, dude. What are you talking about? We got drinks. We got food. I just got to get my, I mean, I just want to go off to get married. Why do I want to get on some dumb boat for some stupid reason? And when they showed up, the angel showed up into Sodom. They were so prosperous. They didn't heed the warning. In fact, they wanted, to have, they wanted to have relations with the angels. So you think that God's going to give us this great warning and the Antichrist is going to stand up with 666 tattooed across his forehead and you'll know God's coming. Why did he say watch and pray? He shouldn't have said watch and pray. Because you should have said, hey, guys, it's going to be obvious. When all this stuff happens, you know, you're ready. But you know why? Because there's going to be this one side over here. But there's going to be this other side over here where everybody's going to start saying, don't pay attention to all the craziness. Look at all we've got. 
We're building, we're buying, we're selling, we're marrying, we're drinking, we're having a good time. We don't need to go to church. We don't need all that Christian stuff. All you want to do is control us. All you want to do is, we don't need all that. And we're saying, get in the ark, get in the ark, get in the ark, because the end is coming. And they're like, we don't need the ark. We don't need the ark, because why do we need the ark when our life is so good? We're not going to be saved out of some concrete bunker, folks. And there's two tracks and somewhere they meet where the destruction finally outweighs the prosperity. And at that X marks the spot. The Bible says one's going to be there, taken. The other one's going to be two, grinding the mill, boom, one. Where does that happen when they collide? Prosperity and, and events mark. But Jesus said, if you think that it's just going to be this chaotic deal that's going to send the world in a spiral, Don't forget the days of Noah and Lot. Because there was no other sign in Noah's day of what was going to happen except God's word. There wasn't a sprinkle. There wasn't a cloud. There wasn't a few rainy days. Hey, come on, God, around 50, year 50. If I was Noah, I would have said, listen, Lord, look, I'm doing your thing. We're building a boat. It's killing me but I'm so tired of telling these people it's going to rain when every day they look around and it's sunny outside. Could you help me out? At least send a cloud? Hey, look, just rain on the ark or something so I can prove to these people what I'm saying is true. The first raindrop that the people on the ark, outside of the ark felt was when the door closed. You say, well, that's unfair. How can God do that? It's not unfair. God gave him 120 years of warning. Well, why didn't God give him anything else? Why didn't God, why, 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 would, why wouldn't God show him he was serious and send a few, few showers along the way to, to show them it could possibly happen? Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he that believes, he that believes shall be saved. If I'm going to base my salvation off of, oh, there's events happening and I'm going to run to Jesus, is that faith? Let's be honest. Can I, can I be truthful? If I came to earth and I died, right? And now I have this glorious bride that I want to select out of, out of earth to be my bride for eternity. And I've told them, I even gave them book that shared everything I want to give to them. And I give it to them. And now they live in a time where that book is so readily available they can carry it in their pocket. They can have it and they just hold it. I give it all to them. Why would I want to come behind her, stand up, and go, okay, come on, come on, go, come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me. That's a shotgun wedding. If you think God is going to marry his bride in a shotgun wedding, all the brethren here, raise your hands if you would have married your wife at a shotgun wedding. Take her, or we're going to talk. Um, yes, that's not love, that's person, that's a uh, uh, preservation. And if you think we're going to be saved because we were shotgunned into heaven. And God's up there going, there's some wars, there's some famine, there's some earthquake. Now you get yourself over here to church, or you're going to die. And we're all running to church. Oh God, we love you, please take us with you. And he's like, oh man, I've waited for thousands of years for you to run into my arms. But you better get there. 
Do you really think that's what God had designed in all this? But yet that's how we think. We're thinking in the end it's going to just be this crazy thing and it's just going to fall apart and the world's coming to an end and we're going to sneak our way in. But he said, be careful. Because like the days of Noah on the ark, they had a good time. They thought it was no reason why to build this stupid boat and to go on this dumb ark with all these smelly animals. Why do I want to go in there when I have such a life out here? And he said, they did that up up until the time of the flood. I don't believe there's going to be a shotgun wedding in heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're going to have a marriage feast, a celebration, not from a shotgun wedding, where God twists our arm with a bunch of crazy events and a bunch of crazy things going on and all the kind of stuff to prove to us he's serious so that we can all rush to a church and get saved really quickly before it's too late. Because if that's the case, he lied to those people that perished in the flood. And he's no longer God. He's voided himself as being God because he didn't give those people the same chance he'd given you. Because if, if, if we want that, he should have let it rain before the ark. He should have let it flood a little bit. Let it get to their... To their I mean, can you imagine... And I close with this. Can you imagine? I've, I've, I've said this before, but it's one of the most sobering things when you think about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm closing because I know we have to break down. But I want you to think about this because this is one of the most sobering things. You're Noah. You spent 800 years building an ark. You got your eight, your eight, eight people can on that ark. You walk in that ark. You got all these animals. You finally get in there. And then this door that had to be huge, God shuts. You don't know what's going to happen next. He told us it's going to flood. What's a flood? You ever thought about it from Noah's perspective? It's going to rain, it's going to flood. Okay. That's like telling us aliens are coming from outer space. That's how crazy that was to Noah. So he's sitting there, he doesn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, he hears the pitter-patter of something on the roof. Uh, Ham, Ham, I think it started. Go, go, up, go up and check the window and tell me what you see. A few minutes later, Ham comes back and says, Look, Dad, there's water falling from the sky. I've never seen that. In fact, you know what? There's these things in the sky. It's like this grayish material. Like, it's just this gray stuff. It's dark, and, and I don't know what those are. I've never seen them before, but that's where the water's coming from. You sit there and begin to hear that. And then here's the sobering thing that just, just absolutely hits me at the core. After, what, four or five hours of that, all of a sudden, you begin to hear... What's that noise, guys? I don't know what that noise is. Now that's just one. It's two. It's three. It's four. It's five. It's six. It's seven. It's eight. It's ten. It's twenty. It's thirty. It's forty. It's a hundred. It's two hundred. It's a thousand. All of a sudden, you begin to hear, "Open the door! Let us in!" You were right. Can you let us in, Dad? What are we gonna do? What, what we, there's nothing we can do, son. God shut the door. He told us it was going to happen. He told us to get on the boat. He shut the door. But, Dad, all those people out there, what are they going to do? Son, we gave them a chance. We told them. But, but Dad, Noah was 600 years, when he got on, 600 years old when he got on the ark. The Bible mentions three sons. Let's just be honest. The dude lived for 600 years. Was that his only kids?
Bible mentions three. But it mentions the three that got on the boat. The guy was, a, he was alive for 600 years. He had to have more than three kids. Can you imagine his wife? Noah, please, can, can we just throw a rope or something? Those are my babies out there. No. God shut the door. What about the mom? And this is how I think about this. I'm a, I've got three precious little babies. And at nine, six, and four, they're still babies. I can't imagine that as a dad. I mean, I'd be like, listen, I get it. I made the mistake, but could you take, can you take my kids? Don't let them suffer for my mistake. I imagine there was cries of parents yelling at the ark, just take our babies. Because the Bible says every person perished. Not just the adults, the babies. Can you imagine there with a mom holding her little baby? Tears coming down her face going, just take my baby. Take my baby. We don't like to talk about that stuff. That's the side of God we don't like. You say, well, that's just so... Hard. No, it wasn't. He gave them a warning over and over and over again. But their life was too good. Their life was too nice. Why give up this life to go on that boat for that life? Why would I go out here and go in there with the snakes and the tigers and the lions and the bears and the elephants and all the predators? Why shouldn't I stay out here? We're eating, we're drinking, we're marrying. And you really think? Yes, are there stuff going to happen? Absolutely. The Bible tells us the book of Revelation is filled with it. I'm not here telling you that, that uh, there's not going to be signs. Absolutely there are going to be signs, 100%. The Bible even says it. And you can look around, it doesn't take much. We're, no, we're closer now than in the entire history of mankind to being able to facilitate a one world government. 200 years ago, you say one world government? No way. Fiction. Now we can see it. Technology has given us the avenue to one world government. We have the framework of it already in New York. We're closer now. There are signs that are pointing to the fact that we are closer. However, that doesn't mean that it's going to get this chaos because he said, don't, don't, don't forget that in the day of Noah, they were eating and they were drinking and they were being merry and they were, they were having a great time up until the flood came. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. You know that word there? Be, it's be sober. Be sober. This should be sobering. I'm glad it's sobering to you. What are you trying to do to me, preacher, today? Make me depressed? No, but I'm trying to sober you up. That your life is not about how, many, how much you can accumulate. Your life is not about the vacations you take. The life is about the fact that there is an end that's coming. And you say, well, it hasn't happened yet. That's what they said on the ark. Can you imagine? Hey. What you doing up there, old man? What you doing? I'm building an ark. Why are you building an ark? It's going to flood. <laughs> That's so funny because you said that to my grandfather. You said that to my dad. And now you're saying it to me. You are a crazy old man. Look around, dude. What are you doing? And you know what? Let's be honest. The Bible doesn't say it. But can I be honest? I imagine there's a lot of days Noah thought, what in the world am I doing? Because there's a lot of times, let's be honest. Can we be honest? You and me talking here? Just us? There's a lot of times Sunday morning rolls around like, what are we? Church again? Really? There's so many other things I could do on my Saturday. I get get two days off a week. And Saturday, I got to do this, but Sunday, and man, my neighbors are, they're doing that. My neighbors are doing it. And I, I got to go to church on a Sunday. It's your ark, baby. 
It's your ark. You can resent the ark, stay off of it. Or you can understand that the ark was built not to keep you in, but to keep that out. The church was never designed to keep you in prison. The church was designed to be a place for you to come where everything can stay out. And you really think, Jesus, give me the strength to say this the way you're telling me. But you really think if you have a hard time understanding the purpose of coming to church, that you're really going to understand the purpose of getting into the ark? If you really think you got to twist your arm to get you here one time a week, that suddenly you're going to wake up one day and realize, well, you know, I really need to get my life in order because Jesus is coming. You really think that's the case? Ah, please, please, I'm begging you, and I don't mean this to be sarcastic. Please spend this week studying the scripture and find that for me because I want to know that would make me feel a lot better. Because it scares me to think. That being the case. Right where you are right now, could you just bow your head? Some of us need to talk to God right now. There's no altar call. You are at the altar. You're, it, you're, you're, you're sitting at your altar right now. Because sometimes I feel like if you move, you can then... You, you dismiss this, but right where you are, make that place an altar. Some of you need to get your understanding of priorities straight in your life. The fact of the matter is, you are. You know what? There are people that are out there today that are driving by on David Civil Road. They don't even know we're here. They don't even know we're here. But you know truth. You know what's coming. God forbid that you miss out on the end from these seats. Oh, come on, just a moment. Just a moment. Say, Lord, whatever you got to do in my life, don't let me be lost. Make that your prayer today. God, do whatever you've got to do in my life, don't let me be lost. Don't let me be lost. Save me. My flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. Save me, Jesus. Save me. God, I realize that my flesh is strong. My flesh has its own will. But God, I'm begging you today, whatever you got to do, save me. I must be saved. So whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity. For above all else, I must be saved oh for above all else I must be saved oh for above all else I must be For eternity, for above, all else, I must say. Would you stand where you are right now and let's just sing this to him. For above, all else, I must be saved. For above all else, I must be saved. For whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity. 
for above all else I must be saved can you sing that last part again for whatever for whatever you have to do to me don't let me be lost for eternity for above all else I must be saved say that one more time so whatever you have to do to me don't let me be lost for eternity for all Be saved. This is my prayer today. My prayer today is that what you're feeling is not emotion, but what you're feeling today is the power, convicting power of God. That you're not reacting today off emotion. Because I pray today that when you go home and you go back to your life and you try to settle in to your status quo, that the words of Jesus ring in your ear as it was in the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah. As it was. And I pray that you, when you get caught up in your life and your things and your way, that the grace and mercy of God would spring out and you would hear as it was in the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah. Can we just lift our hands one more time and just love the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen.